Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Today, it's time to get into UFC Fight Night. Ortega up against uh, Rodriguez. First mistake, couple of seconds in, good result. Uh, Ortega up against Rodriguez. Brian Ortega, the second-ranked featherweight, coming off that amazing one of the fights of the year last year up against Volk. Facing Yair Rodriguez, supposedly just one win away from getting that next title shot against Volkanovski, so... A huge main event. It is going to be taking place early tomorrow morning for me as an Australian. Uh, I think it starts about 1 in the morning. So I'm going to be doing an all-nighter watching the card. Obviously, we've got the main event. Um, But I've split this podcast into two. So today, I'm not going to be going through the main card. Or I will today, and that'll be posted a couple of hours from now. Um, But today's podcast, this one, is all about the prelims. So... I'm going to go through all six fights on the preliminary card, and I'm just going to get straight into it, because I'll go through every fight throughout the two podcasts, so look, let's not waste any time, let's get straight into it, UFC Long Island, this is the preliminary card, preview and predictions. Long Island card, we have got action in the women's strawweight division between UFC's newest import and formerly, as of currently until she signed, the Invicta FC women's strawweight champion in Emily Ducote, up against UFC veteran and formerly the first ever Invicta Atomweight champion, UFC longtime veteran Jessica Panay. So we've got Emily Ducote up against Jessica Panay. And as far as the narrative for this, I've got to give a shout out every week um, for the narrative portion. I'll always have a read of the UFC fight by fight preview over on UFC.com. And this particular one, this week's one for the fight by fight preview was written by Spencer Kite, K-Y-T-E, Spencer Kite at UFC.com. So for the narratives, I I obviously I'm not fucking just like copying it, but I I read through and I'll just get an idea. Sometimes I find golden nuggets of information that I may have missed in my other areas of study. So I always find that's helpful for a little bit of the narrative aspect. And I recommend going over and reading it. It's a great way to get pumped. We've got UFC Fight by Fight preview on UFC.com. But now, look, you're here for this preview and here for the predictions. So let's get into the narrative. We have Jessica Panay. And she came off a four-year layoff, and since then, she's been looking way better. Like, she actually looks phenomenal. Uh, My English is not phenomenal as of late. But uh, Jessica Panay, yeah, she's been looking really, really good. Two straight wins since returning. Now, she came back in April 2021 with a split decision win over Lupi Godinez. And there are parallels between Godinez and Emily Ducote here. Both champions of their respective promotions prior to entering the UFC, and both of them getting Jessica Panay as their first test. Now, we've seen that 
Lupi Godinez is actually a very quality fighter. She's had a few fights under her belt now, and we're starting to see that she's pretty decent. And Jessica Panay, look, I know it was split decision, but I was highly impressed with Jessica Panay as someone that went against her in that fight. Um, I was really, really surprised. So after that, we had August 2021, and Panay got her second straight win, a performance of the night submission win in the first round over Poland's Karolina Kovalkiewicz. So, look, that was a really, really interesting one as well. I had Kovalkiewicz because she's Polish, I'm of Polish heritage. But Jessica Panay, she's surprised me the last couple of times, and she seems to be having this, like, late career resurgence. So, she's looking for her third straight win here, but she will be tested. While she's expected to be the test... She is also definitely going to be tested up against the very hungry newcomer in Emily Ducote. Ducote is riding three straight wins going into this one, including a round one knockout over Danielle Taylor for Invicta FC. And Danielle Taylor has actually beaten Jessica Panay under the UFC banner. So I found that as an interesting note. Obviously, you can't just rely on MMA maths. But Ducote, she's riling high at the moment. That round one knockout over Danielle Taylor was emphatic as well. She's got plenty of power in her hands, does Dakota, And she was the Invicta strawweight champion prior to signing with the UFC. So it seems like there is a lot to like about Dakota. She has very powerful hands for someone that is at 115 pounds. And she's really found a home in the strawweight division. She was formerly a flyweight she moved down to strawweight and now has a 5-1 and one record since moving to strawweight. So she's obviously found her natural weight class. Four of those five wins that she had as a strawweight were via stoppage as well. So I've said so a lot, so I'll have to cut that out. Um, where were we? Yeah, four of the five wins by stoppage. So Emily Ducote, she is a fight finisher and she was someone when she signed with the UFC that I was really excited straight off the bat for. I think she's got the right pieces that she can put together to actually make a run in the strawweight division, which at times it's hard to work out exactly where some of these fighters are at, where the gap is a lot larger between the elite fighters and then some of the lower range ones. What I do know is that it is going to be a great way to set off the proceedings. And is it going to be the resurgent veteran making it three straight wins in Jessica Penney? Or will the highly touted prospect in Emily Ducote collect the biggest win of her young career? We're going to find out very shortly. As I said, it's less than 12 hours away, this card. Very, very close. Let's get into this podcast, get through it. I'm feeling pretty confident about some of my picks as well. Done a lot of extra research this weekend. Let's start with Jessica Panay and her profile. The 39-year-old is from Huntington Beach, California, and trains at Alliance MMA. Her style revolves around being a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, insanely talented in the grappling department, and she's really good at locking up a submission as well. So Dakota has got to be really careful that she doesn't make too many mistakes, because Panay is someone that can definitely exploit that and lock up the submission victory. We've seen that as recently as her last fight up against Carolina. Going back to the style as well of Jessica Penne, she's also a judo brown belt, and she is a kickboxer as well. So she's got a variety of styles. 
Dakota as well, she's pretty well versed, so I think this makes it a great stylistic matchup. I think this is why the UFC have put this one together, because they're evenly matched and they're going to bring probably the best out of each other. Like, I actually think this is going to be a very quality fight. Jessica Panay with a UFC record standing at three wins and three losses, but she's had two wins since returning to the promotion. So four-year layoff, she's back. I've been saying so a lot, trying to work on that. Um, next up, we have accomplishments. She is a two-time Fight of the Night winner, is Jessica Panay, and she won the first ever Bellator women's fight. Meaning that she's been around, she's been tested, someone who has been around the block, and will definitely prove a very stern test for the newcomer in Emily Ducote. Speaking of, let's get into Emily's profile. Emily Gordina Ducote, 28 years old, from Oklahoma City. Emily trains at American Top Team OKC, and her style is that Emily is a wrestler, a boxer, as well as being a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. So she's equally as versed in terms of the grappling as Jessica Panay. She just hasn't been tested on the highest level in the way that Panay has, especially given the way that Jessica has been thriving as of late. But both of them, they have striking styles, they have wrestling, they have grappling. And so I think this contest genuinely is going to have a bit of everything. It's a great way to know exactly where Emily Ducote stands as she enters the promotion. And for Jessica Panay, she's been on an absolute tear as of late. And if she wins this, well, I know she's a bit older, but I don't think that matters. I think if she wins this, then you start to slowly move her up. Like, she's been winning really quality contests as of late. And a win here could really position Jessica Panay to make one last run and try and do something very significant. Very exciting times if you're a Jessica Panay fan, equally as much if you're an Emily Ducote fan. This is going to be a really fun fight to get us started. And now I'm going to jump into the advantages. Height and reach goes to Jessica Panay. Can she use that to her advantage? Most definitely so. I think she's very long, got long limbs, and if Emily engages on the mat, that's where Penne is the most dangerous. I think she can absolutely wrap up a submission from there. And striking-wise, she has the... Like, I know her output is low, but she does have the potential to trouble Emily Ducote. If she can get her output just that little bit higher, then I, I she could outpoint Ducote and get it done on decision. So... Height and reach, Jessica Panay. I do think that's going to be a factor in this one. Another definite factor, experience and level of competition. That lays in favor of Jessica Panay as well. So she will be much less in awe of the occasion compared to Emily Ducote, who herself has been in big fights, but nothing like this. Nothing like UFC on the ABC in Long Island. So most definitely going to be a test. Jessica Panay with the experience, level of competition, height and reach. I would say she's the better grappler as well. I think in the grappling exchanges, if I had to pick a winner there, I'm going to say Jessica Panay, which also does go back to the fact that she does have more experience and a higher level of competition. The advantage that Dakota has though is her striking. I've said powerful hands a couple of times. And she can mix it up well, like I think in the clinch transactions up against the cage, she's going to be able to get the better of Jessica Panay. 
It's more on the ground that I'm worried about. She has been tested up against some quality female fighters, and her team's going to have her ready, but this is a danger matchup. Jessica Panay is undoubtedly a danger matchup. The octagon jitters, we know it's a real thing. And Emily Ducote, she is going to have to fight that off early. So if Jessica Panay, with that experience, can bring that to the fore and just dominate those early exchanges in round one, then all of a sudden Ducote is on the back foot. Maybe she makes a mistake that Jessica Panay very well versed to capitalize on. So stylistically, we have a great opening matchup in this one. I do focus on Jessica Panay's lack of volume. That is something that I think is going to hold her back because the octagon jitters can only last for so long. And Dakota, I think she's had that experience grinding to get to this point to build her confidence up to the point where I think she's going to come out and present the best version of herself. And she's going to have definitely a lot of volume as well as mixing it up in the grappling if she has to. But Emily Ducote, she's the better striker and she has more volume. So that for me is her path to victory in this one. Ducote is yet to be uh, tested at this level in the UFC. So she's unproven. But for Jessica Panay, like I know I said Ducote can do really well in the clinch exchanges. But Jessica Panay also has a very, very strong focus on her clinch and her takedowns. So I think the striking exchanges up against the fence, that lies with Dakota, but she's got to be really, really careful because Penne is perfectly positioned to exploit her there, take her down to the mat, and win the fight. It's going to be a fun opener. I know I've said it a few times. I'm actually, the more I talk about it, the more I get excited for this one. And there's lots of value in the betting market for this. Emily Ducote is the slight favorite at $1.70 and Jessica Penney at $2.15. I know the market's fluctuated a little bit since I took that note, so it's probably changed since then, but Ducote, the slight favorite, Jessica Penney, as I mentioned, definitely a danger matchup. Underdogs win all the time. Do not be fooled by the favorites and underdogs tag. I actually don't check the betting market until I've made my predictions myself just because yeah i don't want to be influenced by the odds but those are the odds emily dakota is the slight favorite and she's coming off a title defense in her last fight that was in may this year and she got the doctor stoppage technical knockout over alicia zapatella that meant the the invicta fc strawweight women's champion was now on the radar of dana white he had since signed her to the UFC. So this is her debut and a lot of hype around this one. Dakota facing some pretty decent competition as well in her Invicta run. Danielle Taylor, um, what was her name? Juliana Lima, a former UFC fighter as well. But Dakota, I felt like it was a step down in competition last time out. She was facing Zapatella, who was the former Invicta Atomweight champion. But Alicia's only four foot eleven, so like she was very, very small. She was also coming off a loss. She lost her Adam Weight title, and then she moved up on a loss and challenged Emily Dakota. So I don't read into that too much, but Dakota did get the stoppage, so she continues to impress. She's done enough to now enter the UFC, potentially as a prospect to watch. This is gonna be telling how she performs here. 
And it's not the be-all and end-all, whether she has a great performance or a bad performance here. But it is going to be telling. Like, we could really have a prospect on our hands here. That is why I am very much intrigued by this contest. As for Jessica Penne, in her last fight, she achieved her first finish since 2013. So, I know I spoke about her submission ability, which she bring out in her last fight, but it had been a long time since she'd been able to execute her skill set that way. First finish since 2013. In Penne's last fight, she had the round one submission win over Karolina Kovalkiewicz, who was just sucked in. It was all right early for Karolina, and then as soon as she engaged on the mat, she was submitted. I am sure Emily Ducote's team, they have been studying that tape, and that will definitely be a focal point. Don't play games on the mat. And if you are, make sure you're in top position. And even then, you've got to be very, very careful. No matter how much you rate your wrestling, your grappling, and your submission ability, with Jessica Penne, you've just got to be so careful. She could grab your arm, and all of a sudden, you're the stronger fighter on top, but then she can isolate your arm and fucking submit you. So, very, very dangerous fighter is Jessica Penne, coming off that round one submission win, with a pro record overall of 14 wins and 5 losses. Looking at the method of victories out of Jessica Penne's record, 8 of her 14 wins have come by way of submission, only one of those since 2013, but still, when she is winning, well, strong, strong gusts of wind, here we go, when she is winning, it is by submission, most of the time. 8 of 14 wins by submission. That is why Emily Ducote, that in terms of her defensive game plan, that is what she must make sure is absolutely on point. Penne has 10 finishes from her 14 career wins. And checking out her career victories, she has 2 knockouts, 8 submissions, and 4 decisions. For Penne and her career losses... From her five losses, she has two knockouts, one submission, and she has lost twice by way of decision. On to Emily Ducote now and her pro record. Obviously her UFC debut, so none of these fights have happened. Under the promotional banner, that does need to be taken into account, but Ducote enters this one with a record of 11 wins and six losses. She has seven finishes from 11 victories, with her resume containing three knockout wins, four submissions, and four decisions. Five of six losses for Emily Ducote have come by way of decision. She's been submitted all the way back in 2017, but other than that, she's only lost on the judges' scorecards. So that is what makes this really interesting, as I mentioned before. If Penay does come out and there are octagon jitters for Ducote, and Penay starts to take control early, then all of a sudden she could be a great chance of winning by decision. Then again, Emily Ducote, I really like what I've seen from her. I've studied a lot of her Invicta tape, and I'm not willing to say like, hey, we've got someone who's going to surge straight into the rankings. But I am very much intrigued, and I do like what I've seen in terms of her body language, in terms of how she does respond in a fight when she's down, and a lot of other factors, which is why I'm exactly sure that Dana White had confidence in signing her as a top prospect. So 
We will check this one out. This is the opener. And what else have I got? Only a couple of things left on this one. Finish factor is low. I think this one is going to go the distance. If there is a finish, well, I think Jessica Panay's intent is going to be submission. Otherwise, if there's a finish for Dakota, I think it's going to be a knockout. A lot of variety in this one in terms of the way it could go. I do think the finish factor is lower, though, in this one than in some of the other fights across the card. Both ladies are aiming to extend their winning streak, and stylistically, it's going to be Dakota's striking up against Panay's grappling, and which of them can prove superior. In my opinion, it's an excellent way to kick off the proceedings, and it's time to make my prediction for this one. I'm going to go Emily Dakota, and I, as I've mentioned, I think Jessica Panay is a major danger matchup, so not going to put a ton of money into this one in terms of the betting market because I am very wary of Jessica Panay. I've gone against her twice in her last two and she's proven me wrong. But there's something about Emily Ducote that I like and I do think as the younger fighter there are going to be advantages in terms of speed. She's got more power in the hands. She has more output and volume. And so in a close fight that could very much be a split decision I'm going to take Emily Ducote, the former Invicta strawweight women's champion. I think she's going to have a fantastic debut. So opening fight, UFC Long Island, Emily Ducote over Jessica Panay. And I am taking Emily to get it done by decision. Moving up to the card, on our next fight, we have two middleweights desperate for a victory. We've got the long and rangy Dwight Grant up against Dustin Stoltzfus, still winless inside the UFC. For Dwight Grant, he is moving up to middleweight after being a welterweight for 10 years plus. The last time he competed as a middleweight was October 2011. So he has been a long time welterweight as Dwight Grant, now moving up to 185 pounds. And we've got Two Dana White Contender Series graduates from past seasons who haven't had the best run since earning their UFC contract. So it's going to be vital for these guys to get that win and start trying to build something. Because for the loser, I mean, more so for Dustin Stolzfus than for Dwight Grant. But nonetheless, the loser could be in a bit of strife. That is unfortunate, but... Fair to say, I think. For Dwight Grant, he is a Season 2 graduate of Dana White's Contender Series, amassing a run of three wins and four losses inside his first seven UFC fights. Grant enters this one on a two-fight losing skid, the first of those two losses being an October 21 split decision loss up against Francisco Trinaldo. Split decision, and Trinaldo is actually very underrated, Dwight Grant looked pretty decent, but that was a welterweight fight. Hard to get a read if that has any bearing on his move to well, uh, middleweight. And Grant lost in that one as well. The second of his two straight losses was a round two knockout up against Sergei Kandosko, and that was only two months ago. An incredibly short turnaround for a guy who just got knocked out, and a pretty big knockout as well. That is definitely something to take into consideration. Has Dwight Grant given himself anywhere near enough time 
to be right for this contest. It, it leads me to believe there could be a finish in this one. And going into this right now, I have my winner winning by decision. But I could have a live change here because the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I think there could be a finish. Dwight Grant could be in real trouble given that he was knocked out two months ago. I think it could go either way. Dwight Grant, he could come out and get the knockout, just be super hungry and want to get in there as soon as he can after that loss to avenge it. But on the other hand, Stoltzfuse, the damage is already there. He's not going to have to capitalize on it too much. So Dwight Grant is going to have to be very careful, as is Dustin Stoltzfuse, a Dana White Contender Series 2020 graduate who has lost all three of his UFC fights and been submitted in his last two starts. Prior to entering the UFC, Stoltzfuse was 13-1, and one, but now on the back of three straight losses, another one, fourth, it's hard, I don't know what the contractual situation is, but I don't know if we see him again in the UFC if he loses here. And he's someone who does have a great skill set. I would like to see him stay inside the UFC, but the reality is a loss here could mean the end of his UFC tenure. We've got two fighters, neither in remarkable form. Who is going to get it done in this one? And who is going to fall deeper into a rut? Well, I am here to preview and predict. So let's have a closer look and work out exactly how this one's going to go down. Kick this off, I'm going to jump into the profiles of both men. Starting with Dustin Stoltzfuse. The 30-year-old American-German trains at Frank's fight team and is a wrestler that is well-versed in a variety of styles, so he can throw hands as well, but predominantly he is wrestling-focused, with the UFC record standing at zero wins and three losses. Must-win is an understatement in this contest. Dustin Stoltzfuse this could be UFC career on the line stuff. So if you weren't excited about this second fight, it is high stakes, at least to these guys. It is their livelihood after all. On to Dwight Grant now, and the man named The Body Snatcher. Fucking hell, I wouldn't really want to fight anyone nicknamed The Body Snatcher. 37 years old, from New York. So this needs to be considered massively. Dwight Grant facing... Stoltzfus in New York. So this one taking place on Grant's home turf. He is going to have massive crowd support. And now that evens this contest up a lot. I think he could be a great chance of a knockout. Dwight trains at Alliance MMA. He is a kickboxer with a UFC record of 3 and 4, all at welterweight. So he moves up to middleweight now, fighting in front of his home crowd. How is he going to fare at 185 pounds? I'm not exactly sure. This one, potentially the biggest head scratcher to pick on the entire card. Moving on to the advantages now. In the wrestling department, I give that to Dustin Stoltzfuse. I think that's his path to victory, is taking Dwight Grant down, not giving Grant a chance on the feet to go for the emphatic knockout. He's in front of the home New York crowd. Like... I think we know what Dwight Grant's intent is going to be. So that gives Dustin Stoltzfus a clear path to shut that down. And that is wrestling. So if Dustin can execute that, 
that gives him a great chance of winning. So wrestling advantage goes to Dustin Stoltzfus, striking to Dwight Grant, as I mentioned. So if this one stays standing, then all of a sudden, this definitely swings in favor of Dwight Grant. He is the more experienced fighter. And in my opinion, the level of competition has been higher for Dwight Grant. He's had the lengthier UFC stint, but that's all been at welterweight. So we're going to have to wait and see. He hasn't fought at middleweight since 2011. So it's been a long time. I don't know the exact reasons for the move up either, but his level of competition has been higher and he is going to have a height and reach advantage. I heard a commentator in one of the tapes I was watching Dwight Grant, he's like a body with very long legs, like a very small body, sorry. So he's hard to like, it's hard to hit him in the body because he's got a small body comparatively to how long his limbs are. And that that makes him a dangerous fighter. That's why this is clear cut for me. Stoltzfus has to utilize his wrestling or Dwight Grant could put him in trouble. The knockout that Grant experienced though two months prior that is also definitely coming into consideration. But as I mentioned, this is the biggest head scratcher to pick on the entire card. For both of these guys, it's a case of their UFC futures being at stake. Loser could be gone, and that's what's going to make this an intriguing fight. Because it may not be for, you know, a spot in the rankings. But nonetheless, these guys are going to be desperate for the win. I think that's going to make for a great fight. We know the judges can be rogue at times, so you should really not have the intent to leave this one to the judges because your future could be at stake in a decision that maybe you think isn't right. That means both guys are going to be coming out really hard in this one. Dwight Grant comes in with a professional record overall of 11 wins and 6 losses. My key statistic for Dwight Grant all 11 wins have been via stoppage. Again, that feeds into the factor that this one should be closed inside the distance. 16 of Dwight's 17 pro fights have ended inside the distance, with the only one that went to decision being that Francisco Trinaldo fight. Other than that, 16 of 17 pro fights ending inside the distance for Dwight Grant, and all 11 of his wins coming by way of stoppage, with seven knockouts and four submissions. This is going to be highly interesting. This is why I love doing the preview and predictions. I take the notes and the whole process. But then once I'm actually talking about it and thinking more deeply about it, I start to get really excited. And then heading into the card, it is always a cracking time. And I always record the UFC Thoughts and Comments podcast. If you haven't followed this podcast before, that'll be coming out. Uh, because this is in the AM, it'll be coming out like maybe six or seven hours after the card. I'll watch it live and then I'll sleep and then I'll get up and record. But yeah, it, it's going to be a hell of a card. So UFC thoughts and comments, that will be tomorrow. And now the more I think about it, the more I'm keen for this fight. Dwight Grant, a bona fide Finnish fighter and 50% of his losses have come by way of submission. So for Stoltzfus, there is another opening. If he's using his wrestling, he's going to have to try and lean on that. Two submission, or three submission losses, sorry. Losing my way a little bit. Three submission losses for Dwight Grant. So he's been submitted three times. He's been knocked out twice. 
and he's lost once by decision. Checking out the finish factor, I've already spoken about that. It is high as fuck. Definitely, like, ah, oh, I'm still thinking about going for decision in this one. But uh, I will definitely be staying away from betting on the method. I'm focusing more on my head-to-head pick here. Who actually wins? Because the head scratcher, this is like a fucking who knows. Onto the record of Dustin Stoltzfus. His professional record standing at 13-4 and four entering Long Island this weekend. Stoltzfus' wins include two knockouts. He's had five submissions. So that is definitely... A key statistic, five submission wins, and we see that Dwight Grant has been submitted three times. Stoltzfus has also won five times by decision, and once by disqualification. Looking at Dustin's losses, obviously, Dwight Grant, he's a fight finisher. For Dustin, his four losses, three of four have been under the UFC banner, two submissions, and two decision losses. Will it be four times a charm for Stoltzfus, or is the bounce back going to be in favour of Dwight Grant? Stylistically, I think this one's going to get dirty. Both guys need this win. For Grant, he's going to use his range. He's going to have knockout intent. As I've seen, or as I've said, he is a massive fight finisher, but I am really concerned about the only the two-month turnaround after getting his fucking light shut out. For Stoltzfus, he has his wrestling. He needs to avoid the heavy hands of Dwight Grant and utilize the larger octagon. Get his opponent down to the ground and keep him there. In my opinion, how can you pick either with confidence? I'm going to go Dustin Stoltzfus by submission. I was going to go decision. I'm going to change it. Dustin Stoltzfus by submission and... Or decision. That's a double chance. But I have to pick one method. I'm going to take Stoltzfus head-to-head over Dwight Grant. I think... Uh, I could see it going either way. I think Stoltzfus is going to win. No, I don't even know. I actually don't even know. I should stop thinking about it. Because I'll keep changing it. Dustin Stoltzfus by submission or decision. I'm going to go with that. A double chance. By either submission or decision. One of those two methods... I can't tell because he hasn't won inside the UFC. So that's what lent me toward decision, just having no faith in him. You know what? No, I will go. Decision. I'm going to go Dustin Stoltzfus by decision. And my best bet for this one, I'm going to be taking Stoltzfus double chance by either submission or decision. It's a head scratcher, as I said. But to confirm, final pick on this one, middleweight action. I'm taking Dustin Stoltzfus by decision. move on to a light heavyweight clash we have the 15th ranked Dustin Jacoby up against South Korea's Da Eun Jung this is a massively underrated fight this weekend I think we are in for one hell of a showing with this one if you don't know who either guys are seriously tune into this fight and I'll tell you I'll tell you a bit about why you should be really excited for this clash you've got two striking specialists with contrasting styles, albeit that they are strikers, but in different ways, and they have different danger elements about them. 
There is a top 15 position at stake in the rankings as well. At light heavyweight, Dustin Jacoby has done an enormous job to work himself into that title picture. I know he's 15th, but there is room for someone to make a run, and Dustin Jacoby has had a high level of activity. So this is a really, really big fight. I know it's for the lower part of the rankings, but it still has massive implications for the light heavyweight division going forward. For Dustin Jacoby, he was cut by the UFC all the way back in 2012, spent seven years working his way back, and then on Dana White's Contender Series in 2020, he picked up a unanimous decision win over Ty Flores, and that was not all he picked up. He got a UFC contract, and after so long, seven years to work his way back, he got back in the UFC. He has had five wins, zero losses, and one draw since returning. The one draw as well against Ion Kutalaba, very high-level opponent. Other than that, an unblemished record, five wins, no losses for Dustin Jacoby since returning. He now sits 15th in the rankings, and he has an unbeaten streak of eight fights. His last fight was in March this year, a unanimous decision win over Michael Olazaychek. I remember that one well. I picked Jacoby to win by a decision in that one, so I was very happy with it. But yeah, that was an interesting one in itself. Olazaychek, he's a striker as well, but presents different challenges to what Darwin Jung does. So this time, Dustin Jacoby's going to have to be very, very ready. Hopefully his legs are in good shape because the leg kicks are something that he can utilize. But Darwin Jung are very high-level opponents. So this is a massive, massive fight. Light heavyweight, like, take notice. Take notice of this fight. It's a division where I think over the rest of this year and next year, we're going to see some big changes, some emerging contenders. And I'm interested... From those guys in the rankings who've been there for a while, who can hold their spots? Very interesting times going forward in the light heavyweight division, and Dustin Jacoby, Daun Jung, front and center this weekend. Now, onto Daun Jung and his profile. Daun Jung won his professional debut back in 2015, and then he lost his second and third pro fights. Since then, Daun Jung has not been beaten. 2015 was the last time he lost. Now the South Korean is on a 12-fight run. He had a draw after that 12-fight run. Or sorry, he was on a 12-fight run. Then he had a draw up against Sam Alve, who, look, loves smiling Sam, but not the highest level of competition. But 12, 12 wins before that. And then coming off that draw, he's had another two wins. It is a 15-fight unbeaten run for Darlin Jung, dating all the way back to October 2015, and his last win was a round one knockout over Kennedy Nzechku. That has aged extremely well, given that Nzechku or Nzuchku made a great impression in last weekend's card. And in that fight, Daun Jung had a really nasty use of elbows, and he starched African Savage under three minutes into the contest. One unbeaten run is going to continue this weekend, and one has got to come to an end. Although, could a draw happen? Imagine if the draw goes down. Getting very windy here in Melbourne. Strong gusts of wind. My goodness. Okay, let's get on to the profiles. Dustin Jacoby, the Hanyak, 
34 year old American training at Factory X Muay Thai. Dustin is a kickboxer, that is definitely his style. Uses the leg kicks really well. He's used it to finish fights before and has really nasty striking ability. Up against the cage, he's a brutal opponent to deal with as well, so you've got to be very, very careful if this fight is standing. Up against Dustin Jacoby. Jacoby's UFC record overall stands at five wins, two losses, and one draw. Those two losses coming back in his first stint back in 2012, with his second stint containing five wins, no losses, and one draw. Dustin has great jabs, he's got amazing striking and clinch work, and very potent leg kicks. He's riding three straight wins into this one, as well as having an eight-fight unbeaten streak. This is one of the fights of the weekend. I have no doubt this is one of the ones I'm going to be glued to my seat for. On the other side of the cage, you have Darwin Jung, the 28-year-old South Korean, training at Korean top team. Jung is also a striker. He's very powerful, lethal on the feet. If you make one opportunity, he can shut your lights out. He's very durable as well. So if you're trying to knock him out, you're going to have a very, very tough time. And this Korean has serious knockout power, so you have to be very cautious with the way you approach him. This fight seems destined to take place on the feet for the majority of it, so you've got to be very, very careful because Daoun Jung has incredible power in his hands and a UFC record standing at four wins, no losses, and one draw. So both of these guys with incredible streaks only marred by one draw apiece, kind of similar journeys in a way. And if Jacoby slips up a leg kick for even one moment, I have no doubt Darwin Jung can absolutely knock him out. This is going to be an explosive contest. Highly excited for this one. Jumping into advantages, striking goes to Jacoby, like knockout power to Darwin Jung. But I think overall, just in terms of striking skill level, I'll give it only just to Dustin Jacoby. In the grappling, I'll give it to Darwin Jung. I think it'll be close in that regard, and they've got to be careful, because if they grapple too much, I think they'll tire themselves out. In terms of level of competition, I give that to Dustin Jacoby, and Darwin Jung is taller and has a sizable reach advantage, so that realistically gives him the better opportunity on paper to go for the knockout, but they're very evenly matched, so I'm a huge fan of this one. I like it on the prelims. I think it's going to be interesting. Winner of this definitely deserves a main card opportunity or a really big pay-per-view card opportunity, even if that is on the prelims. So this is one I'm highly excited for. Dustin Jacoby up against Darwin Jung. Plenty of movement expected in the light heavyweight division over the next couple of years. This is a pivotal contest for the division. Really, really excited. As you can tell, got a couple more things. Let me grab my notes. I put them down. I don't know why. Um, got a couple more things before I get to my prediction. Dustin Jacoby's pro record. That's first up. 17, 5, and 1 draw. The key statistic from Jacoby's pro record, 10 knockouts from his 17 victories. As we've established, this one's going to take place on the feet, and there is going to be a hell of a lot of knockout intent. For career wins, Dustin Jacoby has 10 knockouts, one submission, and he has won six times by decision. He also has that one draw up against Ion Kutalaba, 
That was only one year ago. Felt like longer. He's had three wins since. So that was only a year ago, and Jacoby's already racked up three straight wins. Very high level of activity. And looking at look uh, the losses for Dustin Jacoby, one knockout, two submissions, and two decisions. He's only been knocked out once in 23 fights. That was all the way back in 2014. So the more you look into these narratives and kind of the stats, they're very evenly matched. Both love a knockout. And both guys extremely durable. We have a contest on our hands, no doubt, in this one. Daun Jung, moving on to him and his pro record. 15 wins, 2 losses, and 1 draw. For Daun Jung, the key stat, 11 of 15 wins by knockout. We just keep establishing these guys fucking love their knockouts. Jacoby has only lost once by way of knockout, so that has to be taken into consideration. Whereas the key stat, the most key stat for Daun Jung, he has never been knocked out. So Jacoby has once back in 2014. Both these guys love knockouts. Both super durable. Daun Jung has never been knocked out. Dustin Jacoby only once. I told you, this is I was gonna tell you why I'm excited for this fight. That is why I am so excited for this fight. It is fantastic stylistic matchmaking. And looking at the career wins overall for Daun Jung, 11 knockouts, two submissions, and two decisions. As far as losses for Daun Jung, I told you the key stat. He's never lost by way of knockout. He has been submitted once, and he's lost once by decision. Both of those in his second and third pro fights, all the way back in 2015. This arguably is one of the fights that I am the most excited for, and stylistically, it is an absolute hoss fest between two hosses in peak form with lethal striking. The contrasting styles are going to definitely be a highlight of this contest. And will we see a big knockout? Will the finish factor in this one, I believe, is high. I think they'll respect each other's power, so I won't be surprised if it goes to decision. But the intent clearly is going to be to get that huge knockout. So in the end, I'm going to make my prediction. And I'm going to go with Dustin Jacoby by decision. Daun Jung has never been knocked out. I'm really split on who to go here. I respect both of them a lot, but I'm going to go with Dustin Jacoby, and I'm going to go with Decision. I don't think he's going to be the first fighter to knock Daun Jung out, but I will not be surprised at all if he does. Mainly, I'm just keen for this contest, so I'm keen to sit down and watch it. Let's get this prediction done, and then I can focus on actually watching the fight. Dustin Jacoby, I'm taking him to get it done by Decision. Daun Jung... Very quality opponent. Will not be surprised if he wins. Gotta make my pick though. Dustin Jacoby by decision. Let's now move on. Up next, we have got a featherweight scrap between Bill Senor Perfecto Algio and the brother of Gilbert. We've got Herbert Burns in action here. Going into this one, both of them were originally slated to face different opponents. But now they've been matched up on short notice up against each other on this huge card on ABC taking place in Long Island. For Bill Algio, he's alternated losses and wins in his first four UFC starts. Algio's coming off his best win yet inside the UFC with a unanimous decision win over Joe Anderson Brito. 
and I chose Brito. He was every bit the prospect coming off contender series. He was on a mad unbeaten streak and Bill Algio beat him and he controlled him really, really well. So I was super impressed with what I saw from Bill Algio in that one and he's coming off such a fantastic win. But after alternating wins and losses, this is a really pivotal point from him or for him rather to get another win, get back to back really impressive wins and start to make something of himself inside the UFC. And I mean that respectfully as someone that wants to see him as a successful featherweight. Opposing him this weekend, not his originally scheduled opponent, it is going to be Herbert Burns, who arrived in the UFC with plenty of hype behind him. Herbert kicked off his run in style with two first round finishes, the first being his debut, a round one knockout over Nate Landwehr, That was all the way back in January 2020. 2 minutes and 43 seconds was all it took for Herbert Burns to knock Landwehr out and start to really establish himself, especially given fans already knew Gilbert Burns. He already had a lot of fans coming into the UFC. And Herbert, he's really starting to put together the pieces, at this stage at least, as he entered the UFC. In his sophomore outing, that was even more impressive, impressive, not impressive, That was up against Evan Dunham in a catchweight bout. And Dunham, like he was a lightweight kind of featherweight that this was kind of supposed to take weight or take place at featherweight. And it was a rear naked choke submission win for Herbert Burns only 80 seconds into the contest. So after two UFC outings, everyone was pretty pumped about Herbert Burns and his prospects. Then though, he missed weight And he lost in round two, getting knocked out by Daniel Pineda. That was kind of like, okay, maybe, yeah, maybe he wasn't what we thought he could be. That was all the way back in August 2020 as well. That was Herbert's last fight. He's had nearly two years off. And look, let's say his last one was a bad outing. Before that, looking highly impressive. But now it's been two years. So we don't know exactly where Herbert Burns is at. That's what makes this exciting. I think we're going to get a bit of a taste of where Herbert Burns is at after two years off. For Elgio, he is looking for his first back-to-back wins inside the promotion. And for Herbert, he's looking to return in style. Herbert Burns is nicknamed the Blaze from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, training at Sanford MMA, who just trained, uh, they changed... They have changed their uh, gym name. I'll get to that later. I think I wrote that in one of the later notes. They just changed it. Sponsored by an energy drink CBD company. Fucking rogue. But I'm going to call them Sanford right now. I'll get to the name change shortly. But Herbert Burns representing FKA Sanford MMA. And he is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Herbert Burns has a UFC record of 2-1 and one going into this one. And if he returns and gets the win, all of a sudden he can start to return back to trying to gain ascendancy and work his way into the rankings. Let's jump on to his opponent now, Bill Senor Perfecto Algio, a 33-year-old American training at Algio MMA and kickboxing. He is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt himself, so stylistically we've got a really great grappling matchup here. And Elgio has a UFC record standing at two wins and two losses. Here's a little fun factoid as well. Both of Bill Elgio's losses in his UFC career have been up against men named Ricardo. 
both his losses, all two, to Ricardo. So Herbert's chances would skyrocket if his name was Ricardo Burns, but I don't think we'll look into that too much. What we will look into though are the advantages. LGO's taller, but there's going to be a slight reach advantage for Herbert Burns. I think they'll kind of cancel each other out. I don't think those advantages will come into play too much. It'll be more focused on the grappling exchanges. Striking and grappling, I think they're actually both really even. I'm, I'm expecting a very close contest here. And as far as level of competition, both of them have been matched up against pretty decent opponents up against uh, up until this point. Experience goes to Bill Elgio, so ever so slightly maybe that tips the scales in his favor. And as far as the featherweight fight aspect, Herbert, we've seen him miss weight. Is he a natural 145er? He's had weight cut issues and a two-year layoff. Few question marks around Herbert Burns, whereas Bill Elgio coming off the best win of his UFC career, but also facing question marks over his inconsistency and ability to get back-to-back -back wins, which are harder to secure than, you know, it's easy to say for me, like, he hasn't fucking been able to be consistent, but very hard to do, given that they always match make you up against very hard stylistic matchups. This one, no different. Herbert Burns, Bill Elgio, definitely going to test each other. And I'll take a quick look at the pro records, and then I'll jump into my prediction for this one. Herbert Burns has a professional record standing at 11 wins and only 3 losses. And the key stat for Herbert is that 8 of his 11 wins have come by way of submission. He is very crafty, he can wrap it up quickly as well. If you make a mistake early, he's someone that I can see getting a performance of the night submission. So that is something definitely Bill Elgio is going to be working on combating. Both Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts as well, so they will test each other's skills to the highest level. 8 of 11 wins by submission for Herbert Burns. He has one knockout, 8 submissions, and 2 decision victories on his resume. He's never been submitted, so when you look on the opposite side of that for Elgio trying to utilize his grappling, Herbert Burns is yet to be submitted. He's very well versed in that area. He's been knocked out once and lost twice by decision. And so Bill Elgio by knockout could be an interesting one. The grappling though, I think this is going to be a really grappling heavy contest. Whether that leads to a lot of exchanges on the feet, potentially. Maybe Herbert saw how his brother performed in the last fight and had like, you know, a light bulb moment. Like why not just steal the show? I don't know. That's why I'm really excited for this contest. Herbert Burns never having been submitted. As for Bill Elgio, his record stands at 15 and 6. He's won three times by knockout, six times by uh, submission, and six times by decision. So he's won six times by submission, Herbert never having been submitted, but Elgio a lot of decision wins as well. So he can win it in a variety of ways. And as far as Elgio's losses, he's been submitted twice. So that makes Burns a major danger opponent because Herbert hasn't been submitted. Elgio has twice. And Herbert, that's his specialty. 8 of 11 wins by submission. Fantastic stylistic matchmaking in this one. And overall, Bill Elgio's losses contain 2 submission losses and 4 decisions. So Elgio's never been knocked out. So these guys are durable in different ways. 
And the matchmaking, I just go back to the matchmaking. It is always so good in the UFC. And this is another great case. As we edge very close to this card, now I'm so pumped for the prelims. Finish factor in this one, medium. I do think we could see a finish, particularly a Herbert Burns submission. But they will be evenly matched, as I mentioned. So that's kind of why I think this could go the distance. So finish factor, medium. There is the layoff factor for Herbert Burns. That kind of leads me to think I'm not exactly sure what version of Herbert Burns we're going to see tomorrow. And stylistically, as I've said, a grappling-focused contest. Very close matchup, but my prediction in this featherweight clash, I'm going to take Bill Elgio over Herbert Burns. I'm very worried. This is one I can see myself getting burnt. Herbert Burns' submission seems like it could definitely happen. That is one I'm very wary of. But I like Bill Algio. He's experienced. He's really hungry for back-to-back wins. Higher level of activity as of late. And coming off the best win of his career. The performance for Bill up against Joe Anderson Britu has made me a believer. And so I do believe he can get the job done here. Worried about the submission skills of Herbert Burns. But ultimately in this featherweight clash, I'm going to go with Bill Algio. And I'm taking him to get it done by decision. I think this one's going to go the distance, so Bill Elgio by decision over Herbert Burns. Couple more fights to go on this card as far as the preliminary portion, so Bill Elgio by decision. Let's now get on to the next one. Onto my highlight fight next. This is the fight on the preliminary cards. No, it's not in the featured prelim spotlight. But this is my highlight fight, the one I am absolutely, undisputably most excited for. And I'm excited for a lot of these fights, as you can tell. This one taking place in the bantamweight division, we have the 13th ranked Ricky Simone up against the 14th ranked Welshman in Jack Tank Shaw. Both fighters' stock inside the UFC is higher than ever, inside a stacked division in which they are part of the rankings. For Ricky Simone, he is in career best form, going 3-0 in 2021. Three wins, decent level of activity, quality opponents, getting a win inside every contest as well. Extending his win streak to four, with Ricky Simone having wins in 12 of his past 14 fights. He is a very high level opponent, with his last win last December being his biggest one yet. Ricky Simone got the round two knockout over Rafael Asuncao, who is one tough hombre. That is no laughing matter. Like, that really established Ricky Simone as someone who is top 15 worthy. Like, he's been there before. He lost his place. But this is a guy in a stacked division who is a standout for me. I'm a huge fan of Ricky Simone. He's had plenty of stoppage intent as of late as well. With the win over Rafael Asuncao, really cementing Ricky Simone's place inside the bantamweight rankings. Opposing him will be the Welsh superstar, Jack Tankshaw, undefeated, winning in every single pro fight he's competed in, 5-0 inside the UFC, with Shaw holding a 16-0 record overall. Jack earned finishes in 12 of his first 13 fights, but in his last three, he's gone to the judges' scorecards, so they have been matching him up against some really high-level opponents to test him. That's what the UFC love to do. But Jack Shaw, still undefeated. He gets it done no matter what situation you put him in. So 
12 of his 13 fights being finish wins, but his last three going to the judges' scorecards. Jack Shaw is absolutely one of my top prospects. He's a not just a sports report, top prospect, absolutely on my one to watch list, very close to the top, if not at the absolute top. Someone like Tom Aspinall, another one who really is at the absolute top of my top prospect list. But Jack Shaw, I'm a massive fan. He is a winner and whoever gets it done here, their trajectory inside this huge division, it's going to skyrocket. Their next opponent, I, I expect it to be a pay-per-view or even potentially a main event contest, a five-rounder. There is a lot at stake in this one. This is my highlight fight and I'm going to jump into their profiles for a moment. For Jack Tank Shaw, he is ranked 14th inside the division, 27 years old, representing Wales. He trains at Shaw Mixed Martial Arts under his father Richard, and he is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, so his skill set absolutely centered on the submission game. He's a decent striker as well, but definitely the biggest strength for Jack Shaw are his takedowns and his submission ability as well. Shaw has a record inside the UFC of 5 wins and no losses, and he is a former Cage Warriors FC bantamweight champion. Speaking of guys who held titles prior to entering the UFC, Ricky Simone, the former LFA bantamweight champion, now ranked 13th inside the UFC's top 15. Ricky is 29 years old, an American, training at Team Oyama, and Ricky, just like Jack, is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, so another very highly skilled matchup. They are going to be pretty evenly matched. Ricky Simone, his best feature has been his ability to defend the submission. He's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian? Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt with a record in the UFC standing at seven wins and two losses. The winner gets a top 10 opponent next, I have no doubt in my mind, and I think it will be a five round main event. That's going to be my pick. So loser may have to face a prospect next. Really, really big for both of these guys. It could be a huge leap forward for the winner. That is what makes this one my highlight contest. Onto the advantages now, Jack Shaw is going to have the height and reach advantage, but in the grappling I have it dead even. Really good stylistic matchmaking again. I can't wait to watch them test each other. I like when the previews, like I like to do my picks, but then sometimes it's like the best stuff is just sitting down and watching it actually play out and seeing who is the better grappler. So that's going to be a major point of this contest. For level of competition and experience, I'll give that to Ricky Simone, but for striking, I think Jack Shaw edges him out given that he has the height and reach. And I, I think Jack Shaw in the striking, he can take control if it does take place on the feet. For mine, this has fight of the night or performance of the night written all over it. It's a strong contender for some kind of 50k bonus. And in the rankings picture, there is a lot going on. You've got Sugar Sean in number 12, just above Ricky Simone and Jack Shaw. You've got Adrian Yanez, Umar Namagomedov just behind them. Frankie Edgar. Sonia Dong, who's just been announced in a main event contest up against Corey Sandhagen, and Pedro Munoz. So, like, this is huge. This is absolutely huge for both of these guys. A major step forward is on the cards for the winner of this one. And for Ricky Simone, he's coming off confident from that round two win from Rafael Asuncao 
four-fight win streak. But for Jack Shaw, his confidence couldn't be higher. He has never lost. In his last fight, getting the unanimous decision over an ultra-tough Timur Valiev. That was on the London card as well. A little bit surprised they didn't put Jack Shaw on the London card again. I don't think he'll be phased though. The United Kingdom fighters are thriving all around the world at the moment. And next weekend, UFC London card. So definitely be sure to check into my preview and predictions for next weekend's card as well. That'll come out next week. A little bit earlier than these ones have this week as well. So definitely keep an eye out for that. London card next weekend, super pumped. But let's turn our focus back to the Long Island card. For Jack Shaw, he had his fifth consecutive UFC win, 16th straight pro win last time out. And these guys, it's the perfect time for them to meet each other. It's bantamweight, so there's a lower finish factor. I think they're going to possess a lot of ability to wrap up the finish, but they just test each other so much in terms of their skill set. So this is another one method-wise. Like, I think head-to-head, I know who I'm going, but the method is a little bit tricky. Jack Shaw, though, I know Ricky Simone has such great submission defense, but I'm going to go with Jack Shaw, and I'm going to go with Jack Shaw by submission. This was another one I originally had Jack Shaw by decision, but I feel like that crowd factor, I feel like this is going to be a big card, and I think Jack Shaw is going to take a big step forward. That's why I'm going to take Jack Shaw over Ricky Simone, and hesitantly, I'm taking Jack Shaw by submission, Decision was my other option. I knew head-to-head I was going to go Jack Shaw. He is one of my top prospects. Huge fan of Ricky Simone as well. I'm going to go with Jack Shaw by submission. I think it it could go deep, but round two submission was what I was feeling. I I think somewhere in there, I don't know. I just had this late feeling that maybe, just maybe, Jack Shaw about to take a huge step forward in the division. I'm going Jack Shaw over Ricky Simone. Jack Shaw by submission. That is the highlight fight, the one I cannot wait to watch on the prelims. And speaking of the prelims, there is one fight to get through on this preliminary card podcast before we get on to the main card. That is our featured prelim. Let's now turn our attention to the featured prelim. On to our featured prelim contest, the spotlight fight at 185 pounds between two very powerful units. Both of them hoping to snap a two-fight losing run. We've got Puna Soriano taking on Dulsha Lungiambula. Bula. Yeah, Lungiambula. So I knew, I knew no matter how much I practiced, that one would give me trouble. Now, for Puna Heli Soriano, he is a Dana White Contender Series graduate from the class of 2019. Puna entered the UFC with two first-round finishes. It was an amazing start to his campaign. But since, he's dropped two consecutive losses leading into this one. Firstly, he had a unanimous decision loss to Brendan Allen. That was just under a year ago. And then a split decision up against Nick Maximov. That was in February this year. And I remember that well because Maximov was the underdog. Pretty sizable price tag as well. And I got on Maximov by decision. So I was riding that fight. I actually... It wasn't like the most entertaining fight, but for me... It was, and myself and JJ uh, on Thoughts and Comments, we sat down and watched that card that was headlined by Sean Strickland and Jack Hermanson. And I do remember that fight because I won some money. So Nick Maximov, that was good. He's since been knocked out by Andre Petrovsky. 
Um, but yeah, let's get back to it. Punahali Soriano coming off two straight losses, just like his opponent in Dolce Lungiambula. For Dolce, he had a win on debut, stumbling my lines. Dolce had a win on debut at light heavyweight, getting the knockout over Daquan Townsend. But since then, he's had three losses in his four fights. Most recently, Dolce has had back-to-back -back losses up against Marc-Andre Barriolt by decision. And most recently, a round one submission up against Cody Brundage, where he was winning. Dolce was winning, really putting the pressure on, and then he slipped up, made a mistake, and Cody Brundage, whose stock is really starting to rise, got the round one submission. So Dolce and Punahali are both going to be looking for a big-time bounce back this winter. And for Dolce, he was a dual-division champion prior to entering the UFC. Both these guys, they have the credentials. They're just waiting for that one win to really right the ship. And this weekend shapes as that crucial chance. Both of them are from world-class gyms. Soriano from Extreme Couture. And Dolce from Sancha... Or Sancha? Fucking hell. What is wrong with me? From Sanford MMA, uh, which has been renamed. I said I was going to talk about that. Sanford MMA, WTF, they're renaming to Killcliffe FC, Killcliffe Fight Club. They've already been renamed. So Dolce Lungiambula going to have Killcliffe Fight Club. They've been renamed after an energy drink and CBD company. Whatever. Apparently it's going to give them money and yeah, it's probably going to be really good for them. But it's fucking silly. I like Sanford, so whatever. We'll see what happens with that. As for Dolcia Lungiambula, he is nicknamed Champion. Maybe a bit of omenry there. And the 34-year-old is Congolese fighting out of Cape Town, South Africa. Dolcia trains at San, nope, Killcliffe Fight Club. And he is a judo fighter, a black belt in judo, with a UFC record standing at two wins and three losses. As for Punahele Soriano, nicknamed Puna, he is 29 years old, fighting out of Oahu, Hawaii. He trains at Extreme Couture, one of the leading gyms in the world, so they are going to absolutely have him prepared for this one. I have no doubt about that. And Dolce is a black belt, but for Soriano, he's a judo brown belt, so there is a discrepancy there. The better judo fighter, you would have to say, is Longiambula. But then again, Soriano, his predominant style is that he is a wrestler. That is where he has a path to victory, is in the wrestling. So in the judo, I'd have to give it to Longiambula. But the wrestling is where Soriano, that is his style. That is his bread and butter. Soriano has a UFC record standing at two wins and two losses. And going into this one, Soriano is the taller fighter. But Dolce has over nine centimeters in reach so that is a massive massive advantage Dolce has a lot of knockout power and that reach advantage in terms of this fight is significant power goes to Longiambula but Soriano has the speed advantage so he's going to be able to work around that be a little bit faster definitely try and utilize the wrestling which in that regard definitely the advantage in the wrestling goes to Soriano striking for Dolce but Soriano, no slouch either. I think this contest is going to have a lot of fun exchanges on the feet. Experience to Dolce and level of competition, but only just. I'll give it to Dolce Longiambula.
In the middleweight division, the finish factor is high, so I am expecting plenty of intent from both men. The bounce back factor, extremely high as well. Two losses for the both of them in a row. Now, one of them, it's going to be three losses in a row, and really not the best territory at all to be in. But for the winner, they can start to get excited again about their prospects and what's next for them. Major contest for these two at middleweight. 185 pound action in this featured prelim. Go check their professional records, couple of things to get to, and then it is time for me to make my prediction. Another tough one too. With that bounce back factor, it's hard to tell who's gonna be in a slump and who is gonna come out and get that really important win. Okay, pro records. Puna Soriano enters this weekend with a professional record standing at 8-2. and two. Eight straight wins started Soriano's career off before he suffered these back-to-back losses, so he had a lot of momentum. He can build that back most definitely with a win here. And the key statistic, seven finishes from eight victories for Soriano. All seven finishes, first round victories. So Soriano is a first round finisher. That is why this is in the prelim spotlight, I think over the bantamweight contest. And five of Soriano's eight wins have come by way of knockout. So seven first round finishes from eight victories for Soriano, five first round knockouts, overall five knockouts, first round, two submissions, first round, and one decision. For Soriano, he's yet to have been finished in his pro career as well. Both losses by decision. There's a lot to like about Soriano. There's still plenty to like about Soriano. If he loses here, then not so much, but he's got extreme couture in his corner. I still do like the prospects of Soriano. Up against Dolce Longiambula, who has a professional record standing at 11 wins and 4 losses. For Longiambula, 5 of his 11 wins have come by way of knockout, and he also has 5 decision wins, which... Soriano has only ever lost by decision. Longiambula could definitely be poised to get the win here. For Longiambula, he has five knockouts, one submission, and five decision victories. Longiambula's losses include one knockout. He's been twice submitted, including in his last outing against Cody Brundage, and he's had one decision loss as well. Stylistically, Dolce is the judo specialist. He's got knockout intent. And I think he's a real chance of earning a performance of the night knockout here. But Soriano, he can lean on that wrestling, and I think he should. He could potentially even try to go for submission on the mat. And whoever wins this gets to go upward in trajectory. Loser in strife. My English in strife. Let's wrap this one up. I'm going to go with Soriano. And I'm going to go with Soriano by knockout. I do think he's going to go predominantly with the wrestling. But then at some stage, it's going to have to be on the feet. And I think somehow, whether it's technical knockout or knockout, I'm going to take Puna Soriano over Dolce Longjiambula. Two fighters on a slide. And out of what I've seen from both of them, following closely, I'm just going to go with who I think, I guess, is better. Or at least will be better in this fight. Puna Soriano by knockout over Longjiambula. Really excited to see how this featured prelim goes. But taking Soriano... With that being said, that is all my picks for the preliminary card. The usual rule is like I'll stumble, make some fuck up, some, you know, silly things in there. Um, But for the main card, I usually focus a lot more. I do a bit more editing. 
put that one together to the maximum. So that's exactly what I'm going to do now. I've got all my notes. Now I'm going to go and record the main card podcast. So if you enjoyed this one, definitely check out my main card picks. Head to head, I've been really decent as of late. So head to head, I'm feeling pretty confident I can get the job done here. Socials, follow us on Instagram at not just a sports report. You'll be able to see when that main card drops. And for the thoughts and comments podcast, my reactions, a review, that'll be coming out. As I said, it's in the early morning for Australia, so I'll have a sleep and then I'll get up and record my thoughts and comments. So that'll be out. Best way to know is to follow us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And then you'll know. You'll see as soon as thoughts and comments, as soon as the main card drops. And with that being said, those are my picks. Now it's time to move our attention to the main card. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. And until the main card, fucking